0: Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Psalm chapter 1, the first psalm in the book of Psalms. We'll be reading all six verses of this psalm tonight. Psalm 1, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's Word. Blessed is the man... In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> Well, as I mentioned this morning, uh, tonight we are beginning a new series of sermons, a series on the book of Psalms. And this is going to be a little different than other series we have done. In the past, we have gone through other books uh, chapter by chapter and at times even verse by verse. Uh, We will not be doing that uh, with the book of Psalms. There are 150 of them, and so if you can do the math on that, that's roughly over three years we'd be spending in the Psalter. Not a bad pursuit, but there are other things to look at as well. So rather than going through uh, chapter by chapter or verse by verse, what we're going to do is we're going to look at um, selected Psalms that are representative of the types of Psalms in the Psalter. We sometimes use the word genre to describe the different types of psalms. There are psalms of thanksgiving, there are psalms of lament, there are psalms of praise, there are creation psalms, there are wisdom psalms, there's a variety of different types of psalms. And so we'll be looking at at, at some representative um, examples of those various types of psalms. Uh, As you are aware, psalms is a... A different type of book, it is not a historical book. That is, it doesn't tell us any one particular story of a time in the history of God's people. And so it is not given to us chronologically. It's easy for us to think that because that's the case, that the Psalms are just a random collection of 150 different Psalms. But that is not the case. There is order, there is structure, there is purposeful placement of the Psalms in the Psalter. I gave you this morning an outline in the bulletin, and one side of that outline says the book of Psalms on it. I hope this might be helpful to you uh, to get something of the structure of the Psalms altogether. Uh, You can see that there are... uh, what we call five big books in the Psalter. And that five-book structure is an old structure. Uh, That five-book structure is found already in the 2nd and 3rd century B.C. in the Septuagint. The Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. Psalms, obviously, originally written in Hebrew. But in the 2nd and 3rd century B.C., there was a translation made into Greek. And already in that Greek translation, called the Septuagint, we see this, this five-book structure showing up. Now, I, I have to be um, honest with you. Um, I have slightly modified the, the five-book structure. Um, if you will notice... I have book 4 ending with Psalm 107 and book 5 beginning with Psalm 108. Uh, If you look in your Bible, you will find that most Bibles have book 4 ending with Psalm 106 and book 5 starting with Psalm 107. But, you know, I'm the author of this little outline, And so uh, I can do what I want. And I I do think that the content and the structure of Psalm 107 make it fit more in Book 4 as the conclusion than the beginning of Book 5. So you may disagree with me on that. uh, But there is something of a structure we see in the Psalter. Uh, You can see there are various collections in the Psalter. Look in Book 1, chapters 3 through 41, are listed as the first Davidic collection. These are all Psalms of David. Now again, there's some matter of interpretation here. Uh, Most of these Psalms have a a superscription, have a title on them, that says, A Psalm of David. But if you would turn to uh, Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 in your Bibles, If you look at Psalm 9, certainly there is that title there, uh, to the choir master, according to Muth Laban, a psalm of David. If you go to Psalm 10, there is no title. But we include this in the uh, first Davidic collection, because if you read Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 and look at their structure, they really belong together. They really are one song. In fact, in the Septuagint, that Greek translation of the Hebrew, they are written as one song, not divided into two. Um, that's important to be aware of, uh, that different um, churches will divide the psalms differently. It was about 10 years ago, um, I had the privilege of speaking at a minister's conference in the Ukraine. And the Ukraine follows the Septuagint numbering of the psalms. So before every lecture, if I was going to reference a psalm, I had to make sure I had the right number because my English Bible was different than their Ukrainian Bibles. So we see uh, that the Davidic collection is is psalms of David because they all belong together. If you look in Book 2, that first section there, 42 through 49, are entitled The Songs of Korah, but again we have something similar going on. If you go to Psalm 42, you see there uh, the superscription to the choir master, a mass skill of the sons of Korah. But if you go to chapter 43, there is no such superscription. But again, if you look at these two psalms, and particularly at the refrain that's found in these two psalms, these two also very likely one psalm. So so we we put them together purposefully in different collections. Uh, It's not just a random group of 150 psalms, and you're going to stir them up however you want. There is purposeful placement in the Psalter. I have on that little outline there that I've given to you, Psalms 1 and 2, as the introduction. And I'm suggesting tonight that Psalms 1 and 2 are the introduction to the entire Psalter. They tell us um, what's going to follow. Psalm 1 is an introduction to what the Psalms are about, what we are going to read about. And in Psalm 1, we're going to see that there are two ways of life laid out for us. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And you will find in almost every psalm that that twofold structure. uh, The blessings of the righteous and the troubles of the wicked. Almost every psalm will make reference to these these two ways of life the path of righteousness, the path of wickedness. Um, I was talking with someone recently about uh, the the blessing of having um, current songwriters using so many of the psalms for choruses that we sing. And that's a great blessing for us. Um, for, for many years in the Christian church, only Psalms were sung. Then about 100 years ago, we introduced hymns to that. And now there's been a real resurgence of Psalm singing once again, Psalms used in scripture choruses. And I'm so thankful for that. But I'm also cautious about that. Because the Psalms have the balance the call to the righteous, the warning to the wicked. Uh, tonight, we sang from Psalm 65. And there we sang, Depart from evil, do thou, we- do thou well, and evermore securely dwell. Jehovah loves the right. We love to speak about God's loving the righteous. His faithfulness his saints have proved, forever they shall stand unmoved, but sinners God will smite. When's the last time you heard a praise chorus about God smiting sinners? Uh, in many ways, the balance is lost. Um, We have to keep that biblical balance. Um, When's the last time you heard a praise chorus about break the teeth of the wicked, dash the infants against the rocks? These are in the Psalter. We're going to talk about those phrases when we get to the imprecatory Psalms, but what I'm saying is there's a balance, a biblical balance, which has to be reflected in our own psalmody. Psalm Psalm 1, what the Psalter is about. Psalm 2 Whom the Psalter is about. And kids, I bet you could even guess who the Psalter is about. If I asked you, kids, who's the main character in the New Testament, I'm sure you would tell me, it's Jesus. Jesus is the main character in the New Testament. If I asked you, who is the main character in the Old Testament... The answer is the same. Jesus Christ is the main character in the Old Testament and in the Psalms. And Psalm 2 speaks about that. Who the Psalter is about. It is about Christ and about His work. So we're going to look together at a number of Psalms in the next several weeks together. And I hope that this is, as always, more than simply an exegetical exercise. But the Psalms... The Psalms are that which touch our heart. They resonate with where we are in different stages in life. John Calvin, in his preface to his commentary on the Psalms, uh, says these beautiful words. He says, the varied and resplendent riches which are contained in this treasury It is no easy matter to express in words, so much so that I well know that whatever I shall be able to say will be far from approaching the excellence of the subject. I have been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of all parts of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious, that is not here represented as in a mirror. The Psalms are an anatomy of all parts of the soul. Maybe that's why we turn to them so often. We turn to them in times of trial. We turn to them in in times of joy. We turn to the Psalms often because they resonate with whatever we are going through at a particular time in our life. On the, uh, on the opposite side of that little outline I gave to you is an outline of Psalm 1. And uh, we are going to look at Psalm 1 tonight. And I don't want again, don't want to get too much into exegetical matters, but just to let you know a little bit about Hebrew poetry. These are Hebrew poems. And unlike English, uh, Hebrew poems do not um, rely on rhyme in their poetry. Uh, I like English poems that rhyme. Uh, Hebrew poems don't rhyme. They don't use that to convey the message. Hebrew poems often use their structure, the way they are put together, to convey the message. And so we're going to see that tonight. Uh, Psalm 1 is a carefully structured psalm to highlight for us the two ways. The way of the blessed, the way of the wicked. These two ways given to us in the Psalter. The psalm begins Blessed is the man. You want a blessed life? You want things to go well for you? Listen to the Psalms. The psalmist here tells us what the blessed life looks like in one's life. He begins by describing the character. Of that blessed man and tells us what he does not do blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers what does the blessed man not do he walks not in the counsel of the wicked he doesn't listen to the voices out there. He doesn't become curious about what others might be saying, other possible worldviews. He doesn't want to just find out what they're saying to enter the conversation. He walks not in their path. He doesn't go that way. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor does he stand in the way of sinners. And here we see um, an escalation. This is the next step. Not not simply walking, being curious about what others might be saying, but now as it were standing to listen. Standing to be informed from other worldviews, non-biblical worldviews. And it goes even farther. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. Now not walking past kind of giving ear or standing to listen and be instructed, but now sitting as one who knows, who actually gives ungodly counsel. We see an escalation. We see a progression of sin. This is is what the the blessed man does not do. He doesn't begin down that path. If I asked you tonight um, to deny that the Bible was the Word of God, none of you would do that wouldn't deny the Bible is the Word of God. But but, but Satan doesn't come and say, deny the Bible. He works slowly. He works subtly. And he he just gets us to begin to question, oh sure, the Bible is the Word of God, but is it all the Word of God? And and wasn't it really for people in a different time? We know more today. We are more educated. We're more scientific. You know, the Bible's great, it's fine. But really, really it doesn't speak to our culture. And little by little, Satan comes and tries to eat away at our confidence in God's Word. That's exactly how he came to Eve. We talked about that in our Genesis series. He didn't didn't first outright deny God's Word, but he questioned, did God God really say this? And then goes on later to to challenge the Word of God directly. It begins small. It almost begins innocently. And the righteous man doesn't even start down that road. Doesn't walk. Doesn't stand. Doesn't sit. What does the righteous man do? Verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night he delights in the law of the Lord he delights in God's word he delights in God's statutes he delights in this way this way laid out for us in God's holy word if you want to have a, a psalm about delighting in God's Word, you go to Psalm 119. The longest psalm in the Psalter is about the Word of God. 176 verses that speak about the glory of God's Word. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation day and night, says the psalmist. And again and again, God's statutes, God's judgments, God's decrees, all of His perfections heralded in Psalm 119. He delights, he delights in the law of the Lord. When we, uh, when we delight in something, we spend time doing it. If we delight in something, we spend time doing it. Maybe some of you uh, delight in golfing. Maybe some of you delight in boating. Uh, I know I delight in going to Disneyland. I I, I delight in that. I delight going for a a corn dog or a turkey leg. Uh, I delight riding Pirates of the Caribbean. I delight in these things. And so, so I make time for it. I make time for it, I, 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 I set apart time. If my wife's out of town, I sneak over to Disneyland while she's gone, because I delight to be there. We make time for that which we delight in. We are to delight in the law of the Lord. Do we spend time delighting in God's holy word? Do we spend time delighting in this this revelation of who he is and what he has done for us? I know we get so busy during the week. And so, so God gives us a day. He gives us a Lord's day set apart that if we're way too busy the rest of the week on the Lord's day, We might delight and spend time in his holy word. How much time did we spend today delighting in the law of God? Hearing that word, reading that word, memorizing that word, delighting in what God has given to us. He delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He meditates on the word of God. When we think about meditating on God's Word, we think about about rolling that Word around in our head. This is what I mean. Many of us have our devotions at the beginning of the day. We we spend a little time in the Word of God. And it's important then, when we finish those devotions, not to simply close the Word and forget about it. But throughout the day, we ask ourselves, how does what I read affect my life? We meditate on God's word and we see it applied in our relationship with our family, at our work, in our schooling, whatever it might be. We, we keep that, that, that text of the day rolling around in our heads and meditate. Uh, how, do I, how do I apply what I read this morning to the situation I find myself in now? How does this text apply to me? The psalmist gives us the character of the blessed man. What he does not do, what he does do, and then he gives us a picture. After giving us the character, he gives us a picture, verse 3. He is like a tree. He's going to paint this picture for us of what the blessed man, the righteous man, is like. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Like a tree planted by streams of water. We know, kids, you know, water is needed for a tree to grow. A tree needs water. And remember, uh, the psalmist in Israel is writing in the context of a desert. How much more so there doesn't a tree need water to grow? And so this picture of the righteous man, the blessed man, is like a tree that is planted right next to the stream. Not even old standing brackish water, but fresh water in a stream where it is given everything it needs to grow and to be strong. This is what the righteous is like. This is what the blessed is like. Like a tree that's planted right by a stream, giving what what it is needed to grow. Again, God gives us his holy word to grow in our spiritual life. It's so available to us. It's right there for us. Like a tree planted by streams of water, it yields its fruit in its season. This tree is productive. This tree does what a tree is supposed to do. A fruit tree is supposed to yield fruit. That's why we plant fruit trees, to yield fruit. That's what the righteous are like. They are are planted by streams of water and they are productive. They, They produce fruits of righteousness. Praising God, honoring God, worshiping God, desiring to live for Him. This is the picture of the righteous man, the blessed man. He produces fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. He continues to grow. He continues to produce. He doesn't wither away at a certain point in life. And the psalmist says, in all that he does, he prospers. He is blessed by God. This is the path of the righteous. This is the blessed way, walking in the path of God's blessing. The psalmist gives us a description, and he gives us a picture. Then by contrast, he will tell us about the way of the wicked. Verse 4, the wicked are not so. All these blessings of the righteous, the way he lives, what he doesn't do, what he does do, this picture of a tree, the wicked are not so. And in fact, interesting, in the Septuagint, in this translation from Hebrew to Greek, they actually add a second, not so. (laughs) Not so are the wicked, not so. They are not this way. They could not be Farther from the picture of the blessed. And so the psalmist here begins now with the picture. Rather than he is like a tree, they are like chaff that the wind drives away. He doesn't say they're like a different type of tree. He doesn't say they're like a bush as compared to a tree. They don't even say, he's like thorns. The wicked are like chaff. I don't know if you know what chaff is, kids. When you harvest, you want to keep what it is you're harvesting, and the chaff is the stuff that you don't need. Back in Iowa, when it's a, when it's a combining time, I, one, one time I got to go and ride in a combine. That's a big piece of equipment. Uh, I got to ride in a combine, and uh, this combine just going down the row and all the corn was going into a wagon right next to us and everything else was just being shot out the back just it it just blows away that's the chaff it's not good for anything it's dead the contrast couldn't be more striking the righteous is like a living tree by streams of water producing fruit not so the wicked he's like chaff that is driven away by the wind not a not a a, a tree producing fruit but useless chaff driven away good for nothing a psalmist after giving us this picture Now goes on in verse 5 to give us the description. I said that something of the message is carried in the structure of the poem. The structure in this poem is description and picture of the righteous, then picture and description of the wicked. And the psalmist does that to to draw our attention to the middle of the poem. Description, picture, picture. Picture, description. What's between those two? I could have on this outline highlighted both these, words, these lines. In all that he does, he prospers, not so the wicked. That's the psalmist's point. The two ways. The righteous, in all he does, he prospers. The wicked, not so, they are not so. And the structure points us to that center where, where the heart of the message is. What's the description of the wicked? The wicked will not stand in the judgment. There will come a judgment time. And the wicked not not able to stand before the presence of a holy God, falling down before Him in His righteousness, in His holiness. The wicked can't stand before the judgment seat of God, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, They will not be part of God's holy congregation. Not remaining, but driven away. Again, even the, um, the amount of lines that the psalmist gives to both is something of his point. The righteous, these first three long verses about the way of the righteous and the picture of the righteous. The wicked, a few short lines. Chaff driven away not standing in judgment or in the congregation. The psalm concludes with this summary in verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The psalm lays out two ways, two paths. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And the summary in verse 6 says, and these are the only two ways. These are the only two options. Either you will walk in the way of the righteous, you will be blessed by God, or you will walk in the way of the wicked and fall under his judgment. There's no third option. Two ways. And these two ways, again, are seen throughout the Psalter as psalm after psalm after psalm will highlight two ways and two ways only. I have to admit, when I read this description of the blessed man, of the righteous man, I become very uncomfortable. One who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. How often don't I want to listen to the world? Listen to what else might be out there. The righteous delights in the law of God, day and night meditating upon it. You know, I know that I don't spend day and night Meditating on God's Word. I delight in other things. I become distracted by the things around me. But there's only two ways. There's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Left to myself, I know I look much more like the wicked than the righteous. The beautiful thing the psalmist does at the end here is he reminds us What makes the difference? The Lord knows the way of the righteous. The righteous are the righteous not because they had the good sense to choose the right way. Not because they were so smart and knew this is the better thing to do. The righteous are the righteous only because God knows them. God has chosen them. He has placed them in the path of the righteous man. He has placed them in the way of the blessed. God has come in His Son, Jesus Christ, and has provided that most excellent way of salvation and secures that, that we might not walk into eternity in the way of the wicked, but that for the sake of Jesus Christ, we are placed on the path of the righteous. John 14 says, Jesus speaking, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is because of Christ's work that we can can begin to see the blessing of God. It's because of Christ's work that we can find ourselves delighting in God's law and meditating on that law not because of anything we have done, but because God knows the way of the righteous. God knows us. He knows us in Jesus Christ, and our life is now found in Him. That's our our hope, our comfort, our assurance in Psalm 1. The Lord knows who are His own, and He places them in the path of righteousness. There are two ways. There are only two ways. If we are trying to find a blessed life, if we're trying to find a righteous life in ourselves, we will fail, we will be like chaff, dead chaff that is blown away. It is only by acknowledging the finished work of Jesus Christ, the truly righteous one, what he has done for us, that we begin to experience the blessings of God In this life. This psalm highlights two ways and two ways only. The Psalter highlights two ways and two ways only. On what path are you walking tonight? If you are looking for the path of righteousness, in your own works, in what you have done, that path leads only to destruction. Look to the way. Look to the truth. Look to the life. Look to Jesus Christ and what He has done and know the blessing of not not perishing with the wicked, but the blessing of walking in the way of the righteous. Oh, may God bless us as we together look at the book of Psalms and various Psalms that He might continue to assure us of the finished work of Christ in our lives and how it calls us to live for Him and to walk in the path of blessing. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for your holy word, for all of that word. We thank you for the history of your people that you give us. We thank you for the poems of your people that you give us. Thank you for this psalm and for the reminder that there are but two ways to live. We know, O God, left to ourselves, we would remain on the path of the wicked and perish eternally, but you have not left us to ourselves. You have sent your own Son, Jesus Christ, the one who was perfectly righteous, the one who is the perfect and only way, and we embrace him as our Lord and as our Savior. Thank you, O God, for securing our salvation, for leading us in the paths of righteousness. Help us, O God, deliberately and purposefully to walk in those paths, to delight in your law, and to meditate day and night on all you have done for us. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.